Hey, this morning I want to start this message uh, by doing something a little bit different for a sermon. Because I think it's a great opportunity to start uh, this morning's message with an update on our facility, on our building. Some of you are worshiping here and you've never worshiped with Marine Covenant or as Marine Covenant Church anywhere but under this roof. Uh, but we are here because we're fixing our old roof and adding on to our facility. And we thought that it would be a great time to uh, get an update. This is the journey we're on. We are moving toward building that. We're on a journey toward this. But we all know that we don't get to arrive at this, only a part of what is, which is already standing, without going through some of this. There's a mess en route to that. Uh, it's a lot of dust. There's a lot of dirt. These are fairly current pictures. There's been more done since these pictures were taken even, but these are a week or two old. Uh, we don't get to go to the other plan, the objective, without going through some of this. This messy moments, these tearing things apart, these tearing down of things that used to work just fine, much of which didn't work just fine. And uh, there are moments of scrambling, uh, all sorts of unplanned shocks. As recently as, what, two or three weeks ago, we were in our office doing our work, and all of a sudden, right down the middle of the office, from front to back, water starts streaming down. And we got every single garbage can we could find. We're moving computers out of the line of fire and got garbage cans, and we're catching about... We used every garbage can, I think, in there uh, because a water main broke, and that water shot up so high, it went on to our office building. We were in the middle of getting ready for a new roof in the office building, which meant you don't get a new roof without taking off the... Yeah, and of course, it's when the, right up there on the top. When the old roof is off, that's when you get the water that... So just a word to the wise, if you're getting a new roof, don't check just to make sure that the weather's going to cooperate. Make sure nobody has plans to break a water main uh, in your neighborhood uh, as well. But give you some idea of some of the messes and the deconstruction that's always called for before you can have reconstruction. The old stuff that needs to be torn out or changed in order to have something new. Now, everybody understands this to be normal in a building project, right? You would never plan to get a new kitchen without the huge mess of tearing out the old kitchen and even being without a kitchen for a little while. We had our kitchen in Chicago while we were remodeling our kitchen. We, were, we would wash dishes in the, one of the restrooms uh, and that was, that was a real fun experience. And being the guy that does all the dishwashing in our house, I was really touched by that. Stop, <laughs> let it go. So anyway, there's no new construction without dismantling uh, the old. Everyone understands that that's a part of something on a building project. Here's what we tend to forget, though. It's also a fact that there's a mess. There are water leaks. There's a tearing down in a project designed to reconstruct a life. We get it when it comes to a building, to a kitchen, to adding on youth space and children's ministry space and fixing stuff that's been broken for a long time in a building. But the same thing is true when it comes to the building of a life. We're on this journey to this new facility, but we're also on another journey, this journey to God knows where. 
We're on a journey as a church toward Jesus. I've entitled this message, Ours is a Journey of Pain. It's a painful journey. And this journey toward Christ involves some pain because it involves roofs being torn off, walls being torn down, things being remodeled, all sorts of change happening. And that can be very, very disturbing at times, even though it's positive. Because before God can give life to something new, he must oversee the death of something old. Isn't that true? Before God can build something new, he needs to deconstruct, unconstruct, disconstruct something old. God will never put new paint on rotten old plywood. He always wants to remove what's rotten before he paints in a new way. In order for us to be built into something new, something old must die. What I want to do this morning is just give us a couple of examples of what may need to die uh, in our lives by taking some uh, stories from the Old Testament one and then another one from the New Testament. The idea is our journey is a painful journey. It's a joyous journey. It's a significant journey. It's a powerful journey. It's a worthy journey. It's a truly great journey. We're journeying toward Jesus. We're becoming more and more and more like Christ, a blessing to all we meet. But on that journey, there is pain because there's some reconfiguration that needs to happen. A couple of deaths we may be called upon to endure on this journey to God knows where that every Christian and every church is on. First is we may need to be called to endure the death of what we've always known. People love what's familiar. We become addicted to what's familiar. Even the most adventurous of us. I, as a kid even, loved change. My, fam- my parents came in and told us when I was, I think, in first grade, hey, we're moving first or second grade, so we're moving to Sacramento. I mean, no one should be excited about moving to Sacramento. I mean, no offense to those of us. <laughs> we're moving from our, the only home I'd ever known. My parents brought me there when I was six months old to this house in Santa Clara. And my dad comes home one day and says, we're moving to Sacramento. We're going to open a new barbershop there. And my sister and brother, who were younger than me, just kind of were dazed. I was actually excited about it. I like change. Uh, when I went to high school, my dad said, I don't want you to go to the regular public high school. I'm going to invest in you and put you in a private Catholic school where they're still serious about education. So I was going to go to this private school that I had a test to get into, and my dad was going to pay for it, and I was going to know no one. No one from my junior high was moving up to this private school. I got excited. I, I mean, I even went and bought some new shoes. I thought, I'm going to change my whole image, you know. <laughs> but most of us are addicted to the familiar, even people like me. We find that We struggle with change of anything that's comfortable. One of the deaths we may be asked to endure is the death of what we've always known. Let me take as an example Abraham, a great man of faith. Genesis chapter 12. Listen to what happens with Abraham in his call 
to be involved with the death of what he'd always known. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, he later is renamed Abraham, go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household to a land that I will show you later. So move from the comfortable, move from the known, let go of everything you've known, everyone you've known, every place you've known and really liked, and go to a land that not only do you not know it, I'm not going to warn you ahead of time of what it's going to be. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. You're going to have a spectacular facility. Your life is going to be a great building that I'm building. But you've got to let go of some stuff first. There's a death you need to participate in. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. I mean, this is good news. Abraham must be hearing the blessing and stuck in his head is this, well, what about this first part? Leave everything I know, leave everything that's familiar, every smell I'm used to, every person I'm used to, the people that held me and rocked me in the back while you were all singing. So Abram went, verse 4, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 75 was actually probably about middle age or young middle age. I mean, you think of a, of a 33-year-old person now when you think of that age because people were living to be much older, much longer. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. In verse 7, the Lord appealed to, appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And, and from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because of the famine, and the famine was so severe because of the severity of the famine. One of the things that we may need to remember in this journey to God knows where, one of the deaths we may need to endure is the death of what we've always known. On a journey to God knows where, there is no forward progress that isn't preceded by the experience of what's new and uncomfortable. And Abraham is asked to be involved with change after change after change. My wife, this is kind of like walking, taking a hike in brand new boots. It's uncomfortable, it's worth it, but it hurts a little bit. It's a painful journey. My wife, Brenda, went on a 100-mile pilgrimage hike a few years ago in England. And they started at Chipping Camden, and they went all the way to Bath, and they finished in Bath Abbey, or as the British call it, Bath. We call it Bath. We're correct. They don't speak English over there. <laughs> Bath Abbey, 100 miles. And she did it in brand, now this is uphills, downhills, 100 miles, like 20, 15, 20 miles a day. She did it in brand spanking new boots. These these were hiking boots that had not been broken in yet. Her feet had not become familiar with them. But in order to finish this hike, 
she was going to have to finish the hike in brand new boots. She lost toenails. She had blisters on her feet. She still finished. She walked every mile. It was, it was painful. Every step was a reminder for her to the loss of what's comfortable in order to achieve her goal. And that's sort of what Abraham was experiencing. Abraham had already been required to leave the familiar once when he leaves the city of his birth and then his father moves the whole family up to Haran. And they get established there and they acquire wealth there and they kind of get familiar there and they know what's going on and then God comes and says, yeah, move again. I've got something good for you, but it's going to require you letting go of this in order to have that. And so he starts moving again and he gets to the land of Canaan and he looks around and it looks pretty good and he gets this message from God again. This is the land. I'm going to give it to your, those who follow you, to your descendants. Now I want you to let go of this and move again to Egypt. It's just change after change after change. For Abraham, this is truly a journey to God knows where. He knows it's good. He knows something is beautiful that's waiting for him in the future. But in order to achieve that, he has to preside over the death of what he had always known. And that's true for us on this journey to God knows where. Anyone who's serious about accepting God's challenge to be conformed to the image of Christ, to let go of what used to be in order to have what will be, what could be, what's been promised to be, is going to have to proceed over the death of what we've always known. Abraham was basically a moon worshiper at the time that God found him and called him. A moon worshiper that God wanted to transform so that God might use him to bless every single person on earth. But before that could happen, Abraham was going to have to go to a funeral. And it was the funeral of everything he considered familiar. In order for us to be built into something new, something old must always die. Ours is a wonderful journey. But it's a painful journey. And anyone who has told you that Christianity is only about the fun part of the journey, but it requires nothing. It requires no sacrifice. It requires no cost. It's all about fun and fun stacked on fun. Has perhaps misrepresented it. It is wonderful. There is no richer way to live, but there's pain in this journey because it's a noble journey. Second point and final one. So, in order for us to experience what God has for us that's new on this journey to God knows where, being conformed to the image of Jesus, looking more and more like Jesus every day than we did the day before, we have to endure the death of what we've always known. But secondly, we also may be called to endure the death of what we've always expected. I like living in the spontaneous. Ask any of the other people on our staff, and they will tell you, we appreciate that about art, and it drives us crazy sometimes because I'm sometimes, can we say I'm sometimes underplanned? <laughs> From my perspective, they're all overplanned. But I like the spontaneous, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I like the spontaneous, but I appreciate the need for a plan. And we all have a plan at some level. But in order to live into what God has in store for us, 
to walk through the doors of something new and love and appreciate it in life, we may be called to endure the death of what we've always expected, of what we've always, we've always planned for, of what was always promised to us even. In a journey to God knows where, we need to be able to hold our expectations loosely. We have a plan and we have expectations, but we need to be willing to hold them loosely. To plan, but also to plan to adjust when new things come. Jesus calls us to something very few of us plan for. Very few of us expect. Very few of us even long for. In Matthew chapter 16, may I remind you of what Jesus said to his disciples. And think of how shocked they were and disturbed they were to hear that. Matthew 16, 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, Now he was always inferring this, but now he began to be more precise about it, more clear about it. Explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must, in fact, be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, I think that's pretty clear from our perspective, but hear it from Peter's perspective. I think he heard they must be killed more loudly than he heard they must be raised to new life. Because in verse 22, Peter says in effect, this is not what we were expecting. This is not what we planned for. You're trying to build us into something. We're not expecting that. We're planning for a throne. We were expecting a throne and a shared power and all things new and the Romans gone and Israel back to Israel's glory. And you're giving us something we were never expecting. Peter says, he takes Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke Jesus. Who has the guts to rebuke Jesus? Well, actually, I'd probably say, don't raise your hand, but who actually has lived this long for Christ and hasn't yet rebuked Jesus? I have. You, you messed me up, man. All I did was live with faith and trust me, and you messed me up. You're not holding your end of the bargain. I am not expecting this curveball to come in my life. I've, I've prayed that candidly and not been struck down dead. <laughs> Peter pulls him aside face to face. Jesus just said that the, the Messiah must die and then be raised again. And Peter pulls him aside, and the text said, Peter says, Never, Lord. Boom, no way that's happening. This shall never happen to you. And what does Jesus say in response? Jesus doesn't turn to Peter and say, I get where you're coming from. This has got to be weird for you. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me Satan. Jesus didn't say, you know, you kind of sound a little bit like Satan. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I have no time for your thinking about following me that doesn't involve death. Ours is a wonderful journey, a needed journey, but it's a painful journey. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Any inference that there could be Christianity 
Christianity, faithful Christianity without serious sacrifice, any idea of the journey toward Christ that is presented without the idea of pain in that journey, deconstruction, and the messes that go with it in order for there to be reconstruction is a stumbling block to the gospel. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. Implied there, the concerns of God involve death that gives life. You have in mind only the concerns of human beings. Life with no expression of death. A new building without anything else having to be torn apart. I want my cake and eat it too. I want the mansion, but I don't want to pay the rent. Whatever picture you want to put to it. Ours is a painful journey. Then Jesus says to his disciples in verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. With cross on shoulder, follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. it. This is clear teaching in Scripture. When this journey to God knows where, we may have to endure the death of everything we've expected and planned for, even been promised and assumed in our lives. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake shall find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. But before that reward happens comes crucifixion, comes cross-carrying, comes this trek, our own trek, to the top of Golgotha, this is about sacrifice. Christianity is about what we receive from God, but it's also about the way we live and the things we're willing to slaughter in our lives. It's about reconstruction and a beautiful new roof over our heads, but it's also about deconstruction and the tearing down what was comfortable before and what was expected now. That's Christianity. It's about giving, not just receiving. So the apostles here get something they weren't expecting. They get, instead of an invitation to a throne room, an invitation to a funeral, where they're called to die just like Jesus is going to die. If Peter was not interested in seeing his Messiah hang on a cross, how interested do you think he was in seeing himself hang there? They receive a rebuke. I think Peter probably was expecting Jesus to say something like, Man, I love the way you love me. Like, you really have my back. Like, oh, you, you might even, if I'm confronted, you might even be likely to, what, draw a little sword out and try to fight for me. Which he did. And instead, he's rebuked for that. I wasn't expecting that. And we're called to something very different than what most of us are expecting. Because I'm afraid to tell you that there's been this huge bait and switch for most of us when we were presented the invitation to follow Jesus. The implication, if not the outright promise, was everything is going to be fantastic. Well, that actually was true. It's just that we hear that as everything is going to be easy. Everything is going to be smooth. You get to actually increase 
your comfort level with what you've known. You get to actually affirm what you've always been expecting. Jesus will take your agenda and breathe life into it. Man, oh man, all of your dreams are going to come true.